Hi, this is Aaron Douglas. I'm Chief Tyrrell in Battlestar Galactica, and you are listening to Galactica Quorum online. Previously on the Galactica Quorum. You know, he's such a schemer. He was like, I will make a event, the brain surgery. Right. It will prompt Boomer to bust her out. Whatever strings of attachment that Tyrrell had left, they're taking them away. And in my mind, this is setting up a reunion with Boomer. I think Daniel could be her father. Her father was supposedly a pianist or a musician. We had said before about the possibility of Ty being her father and how that really worked, except for the fact that I hate it because that would just be too I'm your father type of thing. But if it's a different Cylon... Hey, everything okay? You've been talking to yourself at the piano for the last couple hours. I'm completely disappointed in Hilo and all men in the world. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a frackin' podcast. It's a frackin' podcast about Battlestar Galactica. I'm Brian. I'm Dimitri. I'm Michelle. I'm Bill. I'm Byrne. And this is episode number 70. We have a website that's galacticaquorum.com. An email, that's gquorum at gmail.com, that's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. And our voicemail is 301-358-5175. Be sure to follow us on our Twitter account. Our Twitter name is Galactica Quorum. We also are found on Facebook, and we have forums on our website. Join in on the discussion about Battlestar and other sci-fi shows. For this episode, we'll be talking about the episode, Someone to Watch Over Me. We want to state that we have not listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast for this episode at this time, and we will not be doing any spoilers, just speculations. I want to make sure everyone's aware that we have interviewed Michael Hogan and Richard Hatch in the last couple weeks. Be sure to check those out. And we have interviews with the production crew coming up as well. I'd like to mention that Pike has been doing the video recaps for the show episodes. Check them out on our website and also on YouTube. Michelle has just updated the website with a lot of new convention items, right? I have. Coming up there is the Dallas AllCon. Aaron Douglas will be at that one. That's March 13th to 15th. Coming up April 3rd through the 5th is Icon in New York. That's going to have Nikki Klein. Also coming up April 4th through the 5th, Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle. That will have Aaron Douglas and Tomo Pennicott. So be sure to go to those. Okay, this is our first voicemail. This one comes from Dustin. Hello, everyone. This is Dustin. I just listened to podcast number 69, and Brian said we should discuss whether they would find another Earth at another date. So if you ever get around to this before the end, here's my theory. The Earth we saw is the Earth they were looking for, but they will find a new planet after the final battle with Cavill's forces and the ensuing attrition and culling of the herd. The survivors will not have the infrastructure to rebuild their society and be forced to regress to an agrarian state. The camera will reveal that this planet is our Earth. Perhaps this will even come after a character decides to name the new planet Earth. The show is in the distant past, and we are the descendants of the ragtag fleet and the Cylons. Cut to a prologue in present day that will hint at the beginning of a new cycle. All this has happened before, and all this will happen again. Our civilization has evolved into a copy of colonial society, tapping into the same ethereal source Barry McCurry stated that inspired both Samuel Anders and Bob Dylan to write All Along the Watchtower. This is the form of a society at its apex before its destruction. This ending doesn't make sense scientifically, but it will be poetic and moving, revealing how the lessons imparted in the show apply to our civilization today. I gave up long ago hoping that they would reveal COBOL is not the home world of humanity as previously stated, but indeed is Earth, as in real life. 
If I was that obsessed with scientific accuracy, I would have given up after water, after all. On a side note, I refamiliarized myself with the appearance of the prison barge, the Astral Queen, after hearing the Ron D. Moore podcast saying that that's where the surviving mutineers were sent off to. With the future of both races obviously lying with the Alliance, I will watch for the Astral Queen and see if it gets destroyed during the final battle as a way of getting rid of those who cannot move forward past their prejudices, as the future for both races obviously depends on. Okay, look forward to the rest of the podcast and the rest of the season of the show. Sounds interesting. The one thing that kind of came up for me, which is something that I had a theory a long time ago, I haven't revisited the theory in a while, which is the idea that the kind of presumption that I think most people have is that when they find Earth, it'll be in present day Earth. But I, I kind of like this idea that this ragtag fleet laid the seeds for modern civilization. Like it was their gods, Athena and Zeus and all of the gods that they rely on that were the seeds for modern civilization that we know today. And this idea that they crash on Earth and regress to an earlier time and lay seeds for our foundation and that we're somehow all descendants, I think is very interesting. Yeah, I think that's going to be kind of an interesting one, too, especially if you think about the fact that, you know, the humans are polytheistic with all the Greek gods and that that gives way to the, the monotheism of the Cylons. And it's sort of, in a way, it's kind of like what our history has been like, you know, Greek gods giving way to, like, monotheistic, you know, God of Abraham. So maybe that is maybe that is what's going to happen. Maybe they're going to start a new planet, call it Earth again, you know, in some sense of nostalgia and then just start all over again. Oh, my God, maybe we're the Cylons. At first, I thought that they were not going to find our Earth, that they, in a way, had found an Earth, and that was good enough. But now I'm wondering if they almost have to find Earth, because Ron Moore has hinted many times that there is a connection to the fact that they keep playing that Watchtower song, and the connection to the fact that they wear ties, and that they speak in these languages that are our languages, Latin and so forth. I kind of think there will be, if not that they'd find our Earth, but somehow we get some sort of explanation about why there is such a connection with them and with us. And I'm beginning to think that the last episode we see may just be that they do find Earth, and that's sort of like the last stand, where all the Cylons and all the humans, there's like the last big battle. And I think that's where Galactica is just going to give it up. I think it's going to do a sort of Star Trek-y sort of breaking up destruction there's a calamity of both sides of ships and the battle rages actually falls down to a planet and down just, to, I don't know. It just seems like Galactica, its last breath will be getting them to this place. It's going to bust into a million pieces and that will be its last service. Yeah. We're kind of jumping all, we're kind of jumping to the end, but yeah, I think Adama goes down with the ship. I think the ship sacrifices itself. I think the fleet sacrifices itself to save just a few people. And I think we get closure to what is Earth, but I'm kind of psyching myself and, and setting myself up to be disappointed. And I think Earth is going to be a footnote and kind of more of an epilogue than it will be resolution or closure. If this uh, story that we're watching now is going to end in a it has happened before and it will happen again, the only way that would actually work would be if the fleet I mean, all of it crashes on the planet, and the only survivors are the children. That is the only way I think you could start over with a new society that doesn't know what happened to the old society. Kind of a Blue Lagoon sort of thing. <laughs> Here's the thing about Earth, which is interesting. Like in, in the past episodes, there has been these huge dramatic arcs that are the kind of breadcrumb trails to Earth. And they've been following this trail for, you know, five years and five seasons. The trail is cold. One of the big questions for me is they have three episodes 
to resolve and find Earth. So what's going to be the great kind of catalyst or trigger that's going to make them all go like, oh, Earth is just two jumps away. There we are. Ta-da! I think for them, finding Earth is kind of a, a happy American Hollywood ending. It, I mean, it could just as easily yeah. end with them, with the show ends with a jump. Boom, they're gone. And then roll credits and that's it. Because if they if they find Earth, it's kind of an ending, but it also... I think it would, it would end actually more dramatically and more excitingly if they didn't find Earth. If in our minds, the show ends... They're still looking for it. Ron Moore said at one point, even about the old show, is once they find Earth, it's all over. I mean, I think that finding it in the middle of the season was his way of sort of saying it's not all over. We found it, but this still isn't the end. You know, that the, what they thought was going to be the end is not the end. And I, I don't know. I think it's going to end ambiguously. I don't think we're going to I don't think it's going to have a happy ending or a, a sad ending. I think we're going to end up with a little bit of uncertainty in the end. Kind of like The Sopranos. Earth doesn't have to be our Earth, does it? Earth can just be Earth like dirt. It can be anybody's Earth. I don't think Earth has to necessarily be, you know, here where we are. I would agree, except for run more statements that somehow there's that underlying connection. But see, that underlying connection, it's either 100% connection or no connection at all. Because just because you say rickshaw or you say Semper Fi, that is just annoying because they come from a, <laughs> from a cobalt, right? And, you know, other Chinese people there with rickshaws. I doubt it. But... They're all speaking English. They use the and 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 but and gun and hallway and run and danger. I mean, all those words are derived from Latin and Greek words. Right. Well, let's so it's not an underlying connection. It has to be. It can't be like a oh underlying connection. You know, some guy yeah. in, a, in a light speed junk crashed into Cobol. And you yeah. know. I almost don't want to go down and revisit this topic where go. people always talk about well. Well, of course, they talk in English because we want to understand it. But yeah, it's almost like, well, duh, they're speaking English. So that's how we can understand it. It would, wouldn't be great uh, of us watching subtitles for an hour, right? <laughs> I mean, they did a really good thing in uh, The Hunt for Red October where the movie starts and they're speaking in Russian. Right. And then the camera moves into them really tight. And then there's like a pause and then it comes back out and they're speaking in English. And you get it. The audience goes, oh, okay. They're speaking Russian, but we're just hearing it in English so we don't have to read subtitles for the next two hours. Right. So, yeah. Because but, actors actors can't memorize all their lines of Russian. Yes. Well, then... The, but, but the thing is, yeah, I understand that they would be speaking in English so we can understand English. But then, like like you said, there's these, these words and these phrases that are just so to our culture. It's like when you're or hearing someone talk Spanish, they'll say, blah, 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 blue jeans. Because there's no Spanish word for blue jeans. So they'll say blue jeans and it pops out at you. It's different. You notice that there is a blip in the lingual trail there. It just doesn't quite match. And that's why when I hear words like that on the show, it's almost like, whoa, where, where did that word come from? I mean, I understand they're speaking English and it's an English word. From, but it's from our culture. That's why it always takes me out. Well, if we're gonna take if we're gonna take that approach, then I'm gonna have to say that the, if they find our Earth, it cannot be our time, the time that we're in right now. Because if she's using rickshaw and they were, you know, thousands and millions of light years away, and who knows how long they've been on that planet, thousands of years. That means the word rickshaw is thousands and thousands of years old, and for us, really, it's only. A, a couple of decades old. You know, what makes it familiar is, I mean, they, have, they wear ties, they wear like ordinary kind of Western clothes and they speak in English and they, they mix it up with Latin phrases. And it, it's less jarring than when they do that, like on Star Trek, for example, and all the aliens are speaking English in these crazy 
faces, people from other planets and such. See, that throws me right out of like the illusion. But this one, I think it, it's kind of, I mean, I think we don't read too much into it because it, it makes the people, the characters familiar enough to us that they're relevant and they're interesting. We can kind of relate to them, you know, without making them so alien that we have to kind of throw ourselves into their whole world. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, that's why I really don't want to bring up this too much because I don't want to nitpick about it. I'd like to know where Bob Dylan fits in, though. Uh, you know what? I'll get to that a little bit later. I actually have one thing to say. Okay, I like where the conversation has gone. I don't want. I won't talk about it anymore. But what would have been nice? Because you said subtitles. It would have been nice because they had all these different people from these planets. Would have been nice if somewhere on the show, just a couple of times, or maybe in just one episode, they had some foreigner who didn't speak English, who spoke a different language than what everybody else is speaking. And they actually subtitled it. And it was just some sort of gobbledygook that no one could understand. But they subtitled it for us. And maybe Adama, because he's older, knew the language. Mm-hmm. Or Baltar, because he came from that hillbilly planet. You know, something <laughs> like that. You know, like they, mm-hmm. somebody said something and he's like, no, 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 don't talk like that. You know, you'll you'll get arrested or don't say that. That's not, yeah. a, that's not a pet peeve or anything. It just, it just popped into my head that that would have been fun. All right, so the rest of our comments and calls are about the episode, Someone to Watch Over Me. I put out a call once again for a recap and a tweet, a tweet cap. Kit again delivered. Her recap in 140 characters or less was, Starbuck angst along tower with disappearing pianist. Chief angst with Boomer. Boomer cast her lot with the armies of darkness. And then I got an email from Mike, who gives his shot at it. His set to an Elton John song goes like this. Hera's traveling tonight on a plane. I can see the taillights <laughs> heading for space. God, it looks like Daniel. Must be the silent blood in my veins. Okay, so here then is the recap for the episode, Someone to Watch Over Me. It's nine o'clock in Joe's bar, and Starbuck shuffles in. There's an older man sitting next to her, playing that piano again. Kara says, Mr., can you play me a memory? I'm not really sure how it goes, but it's sad, and it's sweet, and I knew it complete when I wore a younger girl's clothes. While Starbuck gets acquainted with the piano man, there are major tremors on Galactica. Some are tangible, as the aged ship's hull groans and creaks, and lights flicker and power fluctuates. Others are more abstract, but equally potent. The newly recognized Cylon representative on the quorum formally requests that Boomer be extradited for charges of treason. Hilo presents Starbuck with a box that contains a bunch of her pre-death possessions. She won't cop to owning a teddy bear, and the porn collection now seems just frivolous, so she only leaves with a cassette of her father's music and a drawing by Hera. Chief can't stop thinking of Boomer and goes to see her in the brig. She projects an idyllic life that the two of them share. A perfect cottage in Vancouver, her as a comely domestic goddess, freshly baked brownies, mmm, brownies, and even a daughter. At first, Tyrrell freaks when plunged into the silent projection but eventually goes back to indulge again in the fantasy. As Starbuck and the Piano Man continue their composition, the Galactica continues to shake, rattle, and roll, but it's not so much growing pangs as a death rattle. Rosalind isn't doing much better, and her hands develop a tremor. That doesn't stop her from signing Boomer over to the Cylons. Despite Tyrrell's impassioned plea, Rosalind authorizes the transfer and summarily dismisses the Chief. Chief is compelled to act and does a violent switcheroo with another eight model. Boomer is now out of the brig and out for retribution. She finds Athena in the bathroom, gives her the beat down, and swaps clothing. As she's cleaning up, Hilo enters, fresh from watching some choice videos from Starbucks Collection. He's about to try some new moves when Boomer as Athena takes the lead. Apparently caught up in the romantic moment on the lavatory floor, Hilo doesn't question where Athena learned the swirl. But Athena, bound in a storage locker, gets an eyeful. 
Strabuck plays a duet with the piano man, getting more confident with their childhood song. They make the connection with Hera's drawing that it's actually musical notes, and the song begins to take shape. They hit the pounding chorus, the virtual rock band applause meter starts flashing, and the final five all look up in recognition, it's the song. Having taken Hilo for a ride, Boomer now whisks Hera from daycare to take another, via the raptor. She tells Tyrrell goodbye, and along with her child-sized footlocker, prepares to launch from Galactica. But Adama is onto her and tries to get her to stall. Before he has time to retract the launch pods, Boomer takes off, makes an FTL jump just clear of the launch bay. The FTL displacement wave shears Galactica's side, raking the ship like an iceberg to the Titanic. Hera, Rosalind gasps and collapses to the floor. Roll credits. All I can say is I'm completely disappointed in Hilo and all men in the world. <laughs> Why? You're disappointed because a man wants to have sex with his wife in the bathroom? I'm sorry, but you should know your own wife. How could you know your That's own exactly wife? That's exactly what she's going to say. Wait a second. <laughs> They're clones. They're all identical. They share memories and stuff to but, a certain point. But here's point. the thing. They all have different lives, and they've all had different experiences. Yeah, but so at some point they develop different personalities. Wait, well, you're telling me that if Ted was cloned, okay, and he maybe this new Ted, we'll call him Ted X, didn't uh, experience the last like seven years with you, and he came home and he came in and he seduced you, and you guys got it on rock solid. You're telling me you would know. I would know. You would not know until afterwards when you said, uh, Ted, can you sequel uh, Coplasma, PSP, CSS, HTML? And he'd be like, what? I don't have time. What are you talking about? I think I would know my husband. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I miss this little repartee. (laughs) I I just want to know how long you can let one of your friends talk to themselves before you go up to them and say, hey... Everything okay? You've been talking to yourself at the piano for the last couple hours. Car's crazy. She's talking to herself, and no one notices. Everyone well, at the bar. Everybody knows that she died, and then she came back. So I think she has um, maybe like a don't approach me kind of aura about her. So everyone's just like, ah, oh, that Kara. I, I think it's not just Kara. I think they've been on a ship for five years. I think there's a bunch of people who are nuts. They're used to seeing Baltar talking to himself. I'm sure there's lots of other people on the ship who are just loopy. I think seeing her do it would be like, ah, oh, there's another one. <laughs> she's talking and, to herself. And, but she's talking, she's talking to herself. She's playing the piano. So maybe she's like, from their point of view, maybe she's they're, they're trying to. She's composing a musical. She's composing a musical. She's like, oh, what was that note? Yeah, you know. You know. The piano's kind of far away. You don't really know what she's saying. She's crazy. It's late she, at night. She know. doesn't have any friends <laughs> anymore. Not really. Yeah, we also don't know how, like, how visible that was to anybody else. I mean, she could have been just kind of sitting up there mumbling to herself. I mean, if she knew in some part of her mind that that guy wasn't really there, that a lot of that might have been more internal than it was shown to us as to. Right? Yeah. Let's go ahead and play a voicemail from Julie. Hey guys, this is Julie, and I'm calling from Munich, Germany. I only discovered your podcast about a month ago, but I'm really enjoying it. With these final episodes, I feel like they're about to close the all-you-can-eat Galactica buffet, and I have to rush back and binge on all things BSG-related. So thanks a lot for feeding that need. I wanted to call about someone to watch over me, which I really loved, and comment on how what's most effective about the Boomer storyline is how by the end of it, I felt totally played, just like Tyrell. 
I've been rewatching the first season lately and remembering how cute Boomer and the Chief were. So seeing their projected fantasy home and the life they could have had really affected me. I was completely rooting for Boomer in this episode. <laughs> and by the end of it, I had this sickened and betrayed feeling in my gut. I mean, how horrifying was it watching her make out with Tyrell last time over the crate containing a three-year-old child? Ugh. All TV should be this visceral. That's really all I have to say. So keep up the good work. Bye. Did you buy her act? Or were you fooled like the chief was? I wasn't fooled by her. I think I was more fooled by the chief. Like, I thought he knew what Boomer was doing. Because he let her out. Like, I really thought he knew that she was going to go get Hera and that she was going to take Hera away. Like, I really thought he was in on it. But I knew she had other things planned because from the second she was killed on Galactica, she's just her whole personality changed. I don't know. I don't know if I can pin down the moment. I mean, I'm not even sure that she came onto the Galactica expecting to steal Hera. I sort of wonder if she didn't make that plan up on the spot when she realized that the people on whose mercy she had thrown herself were planning to kill her. There was a scene with Ellen where, very briefly with Ty, where she says, I guess Cavill let Boomer go. Right. To get back in the fleet. I think Boomer has been Cavill's pawn since the very beginning. I see that now, but I think that it really could have gone either way. I think like a lot of good shows, a a character can be at a certain point and you could say, I think this character is going to do this. And someone else could say, oh, I think they're going to do that. And at that point in time, they both could be right because the character had been through experiences that could make them do either thing. But I think looking back at it now, I think, Cavill's influence on her, being with him for the whatever, 18 months or whatever it was since she resurrected. And and you could see it because when uh, she first saw Hera back on the, was it the Algae Planet, where uh, she had Hera on their ship and she was strangler. Remember that scene? And uh, Six or someone came back and snapped her neck. I mean, she was starting to go down a dark path then. And so in the time since, you could see that, yeah, I buy it. That's not to say that I don't think that she could have been redeemed. I think that was entirely possible, too. And I wonder if there was a, a bit on Ron Moore's last podcast, not for this episode, but the previous one, where he mentioned something about they had certain plans for Boomer, but that was one of the things that they were changing along the way once they had the writer's strike and they did some changing. So I'm wondering if maybe... That was one of the things they did change, where maybe she was supposed to be a redeemable character. And then they ended up saying, nah, we're going we're gonna to make her a bad guy. I don't know. I, I'm sad to see her being an evil character because season one, when she was really grappling with being a Cylon, you know, she shot herself in the face. And right up until the point where she shot the old man, it was like she was really struggling against it. And then when she downloaded for the first time, it was really freaking out. You were there with her and, and feeling some of that emotional pain of discovering that she was a Cylon. Then after that, not so much. Then it was like she accepted it and went down the path. But that first season, it was rough. I kind of felt that she was not necessarily a good guy, but I didn't think she was completely a bad guy either. But she did spend a lot of time with the Cylons. She did shoot the old man. So she has, like Brian said, a history. So I was one of those people on the kind of on the fence. I didn't know where she was going to go. I think that the story turned in a good way. It's adding some drama now because the chief feels like a tool. And Harrow's off the ship. That creates a whole big thing. It's going to be interesting. This might be spoiler fodder, but I don't know any details other than the fact that um, Moore in his last podcast had mentioned the movie they're doing. Brian, you know what I'm talking about? The one that's called The Plan? The Plan, yeah. My thoughts here is I, I think that will reveal a lot about Boomer and Cavill. I think the relationship there and, and their sexual relationship or romantic relationship 
a lot of light will be shed upon Cavill and his relationships to all the other Cylons. Well, since Cavill's the mastermind, I can see him being the focus of the plan movie. And that's fine with me because I like the Cavill characters, one of my favorites. So more of him is great. All right, here's a voicemail from Jesse. Hey, this is Jesse. I just had to say, I really bought into the thought of Boomer and the Chief being together. I felt his pain when he's begging the president to help her, and then bam, she breaks his heart again. Boomer is just evil. In the last podcast, the quorum was talking about predictions, and there there isn't many things left to predict. I've got a prediction for you. Laura's going to end up dead. Athena's going to blame Hilo for fracking Boomer and losing their child. Galen's alone. Saul's going to crawl into a haze of booze and tobacco never to exit. Starbucks going to end up with no one, not Lee, not Anders. The old man's going to be bitter because Laura and the ship are both goners. Who gives a frack about Tori? And bottom line, no one will end up with a happy ending in this show. I swear the final scene is going to be the lifeless bodies of all the characters floating in space and then fade to black. But it was a good episode. Look forward to the podcast. Bye. I hope it's a little more cheery than that. And they'll jump and the Galactica will disintegrate. I don't even think we're going to have to wait that long for that. I, I have a feeling that's, that the Galactica is not going to make it to the end. I wonder about that because if the Galactica does end its life prior to the finale, what do they do? That's why I, I wonder if they're going to land on a planet first. Because we got 50 other ships. Yeah, but uh, yeah. well, think of it practically. Back to the garbage scow. Well, think of it practically. All right. Yeah, they could go on ships, but how are they going to shoot that? Yeah, maybe they would be able to like lifeboat everyone off the ship, but then you got to have scenes. I mean, I'm thinking in terms of like the production. Oh, like, yeah, you know, yeah. we have to film scenes of the characters, the air, the actors on these other locations, which we haven't built. They're not going to build new sets. They're not going to cram every character on the Demetrius. They don't have the means to do that. So <laughs> it's like they have to either be on the Galactica, the base ship. I guess they could be on the base ship, although that too would be kind of unappealing because, you know. There's not a lot going on there. Yeah. Galactica seems so incredibly fragile. It's like if a ship went by it too fast, it would just fall apart. That's the big thing. Like, how could it even withstand a battle, much less firing its cannon? Yeah, I do wish they've done a fairly good job in the last few episodes showing how brittle it is. I just wish that they had maybe set that a little bit earlier. Maybe just one episode way back in the beginning of season four that didn't telegraph it at all, but it was just like, whoa, there's a big hiccup when they try to go into light speed or, or not light speed, but they try to go to FTL and it's like, there's a hiccup. And they're like, what? What's going on? And then they're like, Turn the turn the key again, and you know Hoshi. Oh, okay, and he does it again, and then and it goes. Maybe just something just like that, which you could almost attribute to. Oh, Hoshi screwed it up. You know? Or just occasional creaks. Yeah, just something you know, like a creak, and someone looks up, and then because like all of a sudden it, it seems like, wow, we only have three jumps left, and the ship's going to break into a billion pieces. Whereas before it was like taking on base stars, it was falling into the atmosphere. Which, granted, might have been what led it to its current situation, but it uh, reached end of life pretty quickly. Well, it was being decommissioned when they got yeah, attacked, so that's true. its life was already ended. So it's it's kind of yeah. on borrowed time. But again, that makes me wonder. You know, this is one of the things that all that time on New Caprica, the fourteen months that they had between getting there and whatever. You know, they had fourteen months of peacetime, basically, where they had nothing going on. They had the Pegasus, they had the foundry ships all sitting there doing whatever the foundry ships do. Again, in that time, we said this on a previous podcast. Why didn't they fix up the other launch pod? And the hours that Adama had on the empty ship strolling through the thing would be like, huh, 
this ship's, you know, look at that crack over there. Look at that crack over there. You know, as he's strolling along. Okay. Now here is a voicemail from Juwan. Hi, my name is Juwan, longtime listener, first-time caller. I just wanted to comment on tonight's episode of Battlestar Galactica. It was fracking awesome. Amazing. At first, I was thinking the show was getting predictable, was getting kind of lame. It was just the same old things, but the last half of the episode just blew the first half out of the water. It made me realize how much of a fan I was of this show, that the writing and just how they develop relationships and develop characters with Chief and Boomer and Starbuck and Starbuck was just so amazing. It, but it does beg the question of um, what is still going on with Starbuck because now she is having either having hallucinations or either her father is now a head character. And I would have to say, Brian, you called it. Daniel is maybe Starbuck's father. And maybe the guy, the piano playing man was Daniel. So good job, my friend. Anyway, keep up the good work. Love the podcast, love the show, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. And this episode was interesting because they didn't exactly come out and say that it was one thing or another. They didn't explicitly say Daniel was her father, right? There's still wiggle room for people to say, no, it's something else. I mean, I believe it was Daniel. Some people argue that, no, no, it's not that way at all. <laughs> So I kind of wish that they had conclusively said one way or another that it was him or not him. There's no other logical explanation. For him to teach her the song, there's no other logical explanation. If he taught her a song that was the Cylon Watchtower song, how else would he have known that? I mean, you could say, well, did he know a Cylon that taught him the song? Occam's Razor. Exactly. I've, a lot of people have mentioned that. To go back to uh, the episode where um, we meet Kara's mother. Like, Kara's mother knew that she was special. So she must have known Daniel was a Cylon. She must have known that this progeny was was clearly special and had a destiny because of Daniel. Yeah, we got a post on our boards from Martin who writes that at this point in the game, the series is not served by subtlety. The only way the writers could have made it more clear that Daniel is Starbucks' father would have been to superimpose a giant blinking caption above his head at all times reading, This is Daniel. He is Starbucks' father. Then he goes on to write, In any event, at this point in the series endgame, the Occam's Razor approach works best. The simplest explanation is usually the right one. Here the simplest explanation is that head dad equals Daniel and Starbuck equals hybrid or silent child. As opposed to the previous episode where they did a lot of lines and scenes where they just spoon-fed information to the audience. In this episode, they said, let's acknowledge that our audience is smart, and we won't lay that out for them completely. We'll let them noodle it out. We've given them all the, the clues that we need. They can figure it out. I think that's what they did this time. And I think that made the episode much better. Yeah. I, mean, I really enjoyed this episode, well above the previous one. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, let's play a voicemail now from Jimmy. Just want to say I love your show. Uh, this is Jimmy. Brian, I guess we all have to agree with you by now. I think it's quite apparent after last night's episode about Kara's dad and where this is all going. Uh, it's all happened before. It'll happen again. Kara and the, the little girl are pretty much the same person. Not exactly the same person, but uh, um, 
they both uh, ha- uh, were drawing uh, symbols as children, so that no doubt they're both hybrids, uh, half human, half Salon. Maybe uh, her dad is Daniel, and uh, all the pictures that she drew uh, of when she was a kid are now being repeated. And so this is all happening again. That's my comments. Just say you're uh, you're awesome. You guys are awesome, and enjoy the show. Thanks. Bye. Uh, first of all, thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you, Jimmy, for the compliment. Thank you for the compliments. Just as far as the Daniel thing goes, a little bit further. Like many people, I freeze framed the cassette that says the name and the the title of the music piece. It said uh, dry lead. Is that how you pronounce it? I guess it's it's a German word, Thrace, and then it's like live at the Helice Opera House. Uh, I did a little research on the Battlestar Wikipedia. The name Dreilid is German for third eyelid and refers to the inner eyelid, regarded as the gateway to the soul and realms of higher consciousnesses. The third eye is often associated with visions, clairvoyance, precognition, and out-of-body experiences. I was just trying to figure out like, if Daniel has a secondary meaning like in the Old Testament or in the Bible or something where somehow it's either Daniel is something else or someone is referred to as a Daniel or something like that that could possibly make it that a... Because Daniel is completely a male name, but I was just trying to figure... like None, none of the people I talked to, my wife really, uh, could, could come up with a... She's far more educated than I am. Uh, come up with a you know where I was trying to go with it, so I think it has to be a male. I don't think it can be Starbucks. I mean, unless I mean, does Daniel have a definition? Isn't Daniel the guy in the Bible who went to the lion's den and the, the faith of God kept him from being eaten? That's I don't know. I don't know my Bible well enough. I don't know my Bible enough either. But but let's but that's still a male going into the cave, right? I mean, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but let's not stick to gender stereotypes. Like, I think this, what's interesting is, remember, so the, the scene with Thrace and um, Leoben, where he says, you know, in the next incarnation, our places could reverse. I think it's completely reasonable that unless she transcended, if she's a resurrection of Daniel, and in some way was able to resurrect simply her soul, but not her body, and then in that way, this character we see now, Daniel, her father, is in that way... In some manner of speaking, her father, it's her father's soul, is in Carthrasis. That could work because in the Middle East, for instance, sometimes people are referred to by, in English, it would be like the father of, you know, John, whatever. So people are referred to as the father of the son's name. So maybe, maybe she is that way if they're using that sort of, that sort of play on names where then she is the daughter of Daniel, so she could be then Daniel. Yeah, and if the, if the resurrection technology, we, we don't know what form that takes either. I mean, this resurrection technology, they download into a new body that's identical to the old one. There's no reason that that has to be that way. There's no reason that a consciousness couldn't have downloaded into a different body. There's no reason this Daniel couldn't have arranged somehow when his DNA was corrupted that, you know, his soul or his consciousness would live on somewhere. I mean, you know, so that, I think that's kind of an open, that's an open possibility. So one thing I wondered is we've had the song come back again. And it's funny to me because I remember when the the song first debuted at the end of season three, there were some of us and I was one of them who just hated it. And at the time I thought, well, maybe this is just like a one-time thing where they'll play it this one time. I didn't like it. It was just too much of an earth culture reference to me. And that would be it. But now we see that it's become woven into, it's really part of the story. So it doesn't bother me as much as it did back then at all. 
But I still wonder about it. And I think about the connections with their story and the fact that it is a song that was written by Bob Dylan. And I was noodling things around. You know, I looked up Dre Lead on the Anagram website. I did a whole bunch of things to see if that turned, <laughs> if you could change that around. And nothing really came up. And I even tried a couple other combinations with Thrace and this and that, and nothing happened. And then I looked at uh, I looked at Bob Dylan, and I was like, okay, Dylan, Dylan's five characters. And I moved some letters around. Go ahead and write this down or type this as you want to do in podcast land or you guys. I rearranged the letters, and um, here's how I put them. I put D-A-N-Y-L. And say that phonetically. Daniel. Daniel. <laughs> I don't know. To me, that just seemed like a big coincidence, didn't it? I, th- I think we'll hear the real, original Bob Dylan version of Watchtower before this is over, and that will anchor the whole thing. Like, that will be, in some way, some keystone. It'll be like, oh... I don't know how. I don't know how because I don't know if they're going to get the rights. That seems like they're too, they don't have enough money to do it, but they would be good if they could. Just uh, regarding Starbuck and Hera, again, another reason why I think there's a connection between those two and why I think Starbuck is, in fact, a hybrid just like Hera is. Hera, obviously, is an artist. She's been drawing lots of copies of sixes. She's been noodling and doodling these little circles, which when they first drew on the page, I thought they were 13 planets because I actually counted them out and it's 13. So apparently being precognitive and drawing Cylon related imagery is something that hybrid does. And hello, Starbuck does that too. To me, that seemed to indicate that she's also a hybrid, but the argument could also be said that that makes Hera less important They've been doing a lot of baby killing, basically, <laughs> in the last couple episodes, getting rid of all these other kids or making them not be Cylon children to make Hera the sole future. And now to have Starbuck come back and be a hybrid herself, you could say, well, that diminishes it. But on the other hand, I almost think that makes a stronger case for Starbuck to be the other hybrid, because if Cavill thinks he's got the prize, then the humans could say, hey, wait a minute, they've got the proverbial ace up their sleeve, like, hey, we've got one over here too. And he'd be like, what? So I don't know. Someone on our message boards pointed out, not pointed out, but suggested perhaps that Kara's mother is her mother, but not necessarily her birth mother. That's what I was thinking, too. I mean, who's to say that she really is Kara's birth mother? I mean, has that ever really been said? That's true, because when it all comes down to it, whether she's a hybrid or not, or she's a Cylon, or she's Daniel, it still does not explain how she ended up dead in a viper and then reappeared in a nebula out of nowhere in a brand new viper. Cylons don't resurrect that way. It's something different. It doesn't explain that at all. And that's the one thing that of all the mysteries that we've had, that's the one thing that we have left. We, I bet you five bucks that they wouldn't uh, explain oh, that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so I got three episodes to make my five bucks. What? They brought it back up. What are you talking about? But they didn't explain in, it. In the very first episode, you said they weren't going to bring it up again. Oh, Burn, you were there. <laughs> yeah. You remember? What did I say? Roll uh, I, I, re- I remain neutral. Roll, roll tape. <laughs> Brian, yeah. since you live so close to me, I'll bet you five bucks that from now until the end of the series, they're not even going to mention her coming back at all. They're not even going to touch on it. It never happened. Oh, I'll take that bet. All right. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're right. I do owe you five bucks. But uh, I'll bet you five bucks they're not going to explain it. Double or nothing. <laughs> Double or nothing, yeah. You can't.
I think they've got to. They have to explain that somehow. I mean, I think that's too big a hole. It's It's got to be wrapped up with who she is. I mean, she died and came back before they destroyed the Resurrection Hub, so it's entirely possible that she was resurrected in the, the traditional way. Maybe this is the new thing. Maybe, I don't know. I guess that wouldn't be true oh. because Cavill didn't know it. But they figured out how to resurrect anybody. Maybe they had just gotten to the point where they're like, all right, we got this resurrection technology down. We can bring anybody back and... You know, they got a hold of Starbucks somehow. That That's 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 stretching. Maybe not. I think that they will wrap up that one particular storyline because if they didn't want to wrap it up, they would have just left it alone. But they showed her seeing herself on the planet, and then she's always fondling the uh, the dog tags. I think that all those things make me believe that they are going to do – they are going to wrap it up somehow, explain it. They have to because they've been playing off of it too much. I did wonder if they adequately explained how long that body had been there. They're trying to find this, this signal, and she says it's a weak signal, and Leoben says something like, it's been going a long time. And they leave it at that. And I wonder, is it, are we just led to believe that the body had been there in real time? Like, if she had disappeared, say, three months ago, and it crashed, and she, her body had been there for three months, and that was the state of it. Or is it something really weird where there had been a time shifty thing where that body had been there the 2000 years that the other dead silence had been there or is it something weird like that this is exactly my theory that to explain how car is the harbinger of death her emergence from the vortex or whatever onto the planet coincides with the, the destruction of that earth in that way she is the messenger of death she is somehow the omen of death mm. um, and, and she and she legitimately dies but because of her cylon heritage through Daniel, she does resurrect. I love that. I like that. Just, just as Helen dies, that. and Helen says just before she dies on the planet, like, everything is set up. It's okay. I can die. You know what? I really like that theory. So what you're saying is when she died in the nebula, she showed up on the planet way back in time, and then she was a harbinger of death for the people then. Yes. So she was a harbinger of death for the people then. She fired off some sort of, some nuke went off, some sort of catastrophic no, they thing. Saw, they saw her ship tearing through the atmosphere and thought it was a missile, maybe right? Not I mean, that, well, been, maybe not that she's the one that did it, but or something. her she, arrival was her arrival, the thing that somehow made it happen. Maybe it could be it that... triggered it. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it was a trigger. Maybe it was just that I'm here now and or she, that maybe, was Maybe something. the Cylons were like, don't come into our space. She pops into their space. Planetary war breaks out. And so when she saw herself on the planet, she's been there the whole 2,000 years. I love that idea. I hope that's it for for your (laughs) sake, man. And I hope it's for your sake, for my sake, because I heard it. The only remaining question is, okay, so she resurrects on the planet, but you still have to resolve where she gets that viper and who is essentially holding her because she, she shows up with no memory of what had happened. Maybe it was Cavill. Maybe, you know, maybe Cavill, if Cavill can sit with the knowledge that Ellen was the fifth, maybe he knows about Starbuck. I don't, I, I'm reaching now, but that doesn't, it's not a complete answer. Yeah, but see, back to Occam's Razor, it's like, I've seen theories about Cavill went to Earth and deposited Starbuck in a resurrection thing and then came back and it's like, I don't it's, think it's way too much back and forth. And if he knows where Earth is, and why does he why need... Why does he have to go back to follow the Galactica tour? Right, and why does he need to bother Ellen? Because theoretically they would have maybe some sort of research down on the planet for the resurrection. And I don't know, it's just too much. Like one of our posters said, at this point in the series, when there's three episodes left, the writers wouldn't be like, I don't know what this means right now. We'll fix it later on. No, it's like every episode... Probably from the beginning of season four, they've known exactly the ending and they've been molding every storyline to get to that point. 
You've heard Ron Moore in episode podcasts say, when there's a scene that goes by, he says, when you rewatch this and we get to the very end, you'll see that little scene is important later on. And it's just something as simple as Andrews gets shot in the back of the head. Okay, well, now we know that that scene is important because now he is sitting like a vegetable and he has brain waves going in odd ways. And it means something that's going to impact the story at the end. Speaking of which, I liked Ellen's line where she was talking about Hera. And she said, Hera is plugged into something and is manipulating all of us. And then she says, maybe Anders. And then she, there's a pause. I like it was the delivery of the line. It wasn't just the, the line itself. She says, maybe Anders, pause, could help us. Because they talked about plugging him into the data stream that the hybrids also connect into. Mm -hmm. Again, I have my theory that there's a ghost in the machine, whether it's Daniel or just something, that is somehow roaming the network. And that might be what's happening with Anders right now. The thing that I think is very interesting is the uh, Dreyleed Thrace cassette that says live at the opera house and it's obviously intentional that they put opera house i mean that's an iconic yeah. thing in the show so it makes me wonder when the blinding white doors open and we see inside the opera house for the first time i mean we've seen inside the opera house but we haven't seen past this glowing whiteness what are we going to find is there an angelic being are we going to see the true puppeteer who's been behind all this the whole time I and mean, what you know what's going to be back there uh it turns out it's glenn a larson who's been pulling the strings the whole time <laughs> Dirk Benedict is back there. On the sides for the old show, did anybody else hear the uh, the music from the old show? It was one of the things that uh, Starbucks' father was playing on the piano, or the yeah. ghost of her father. Yeah, that yeah. was cool. Yeah, I didn't pick it up the first time, but on, on rewatch, I, I was listening to it, and that was cool. We got uh, a note from Esteban, who writes that Admiral Adama, Lee Adama, President Roslin, Cottle, Baltar, Hilo, and Hot Dog, what do all these people have in common? They are the only major cast members who are human and are still alive. Seven characters left to represent the whole surviving humanity now that the last episode has left us out with the clear notion that Starbuck is at least a hybrid. Does that strike anyone else as just a little fracked up? Aren't we supposed to care about the survival of humanity? That's starting to become hard to do when practically every character in every fracking scene is a Cylon or a hybrid. Let's look at the other side of the coin. Cylon characters include Cavill, Deanna, the Sixes, Athena, Boomer, Leoban, Ty, Ellen, Tyrrell, Anders, Tori. And now we can almost certainly add Starbucks to the list as a hybrid. That doesn't even mention some of the less consequential skin job models, Daniel and Hera. That's about twice the number of human main characters. I love the series, but it's getting harder and harder to care how it ends. I keep telling myself that there are thousands of humans in the fleet, but we don't see them on the screen. All we see are Cylons. Well, we think? started off with seven Cylons, and now we have seven humans. So maybe the evil people are the humans, and the Cylons are the ones we should have been rooting for from the very beginning. Well, here's my other thing. Who's the only woman in that group? Laura. Laura might be dead. So now there's no more women. Well, you know what? There's a lot of women. Baltar's harem. <laughs> oh, whatever. There's a, and they have guns, Michelle. <laughs> That's have, very manly. You should be proud of that. <laughs> they're packing and they're hot. <laughs> they're primed. <laughs> but it's true. I, I mean, and the way I agree that the number of human characters has dwindled to a startlingly low number. But on the other hand... You don't really need those people to be the ones that repopulate a civilization. There are other people. I mean, I do care about how they end their character arc, but I can see them, and there's still time. There's like several hours of show series time left that they could establish that maybe it is, you know, among Baltar's fleet, there's uh, Paula and the other right-hand woman with the little boy. So, uh, yeah, I understand. I understand the point. One thing which we've not had to deal with in a while is Rosalyn in this episode seemed to finally show the effects of her disease and she was having problems. 
Is she dead? Because at the end, the guy reaches down to, to feel her pulse, and I'm sorry, I think that's television show code for this person is dead. Have you ever known them to like feel the pulse on somebody who's still alive? Well, they're checking to see if she's alive. When I watched the scene again, it looked like they went to check her pulse. The guy stood up really fast, like as if to say, come get help or whatever. If she dies in that manner, which most of us barely even recognize that she had collapsed, it was yeah. it, it would have been very cheap. I, 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 hope, I, yeah. I think it wouldn't be cheap because I noticed that she collapsed and she collapsed because Hera was removed from the ship. So she has some sort of – how does she know? How does she know Hera left the ship? Well, she's having the visions. But I, well, I think – I'm sorry, but Mary McDonald is not going to go out with a scene where half of us didn't even notice that she had collapsed and maybe dead. <laughs> I think she's going to have an Emmy nominee submission scene where she would die, you know, operatically. Operatically, yes, thank you. No, we have not seen the end. Um, they're all going. They're going to have more of her. I agree with you, actually. I mean, I contradict myself daily, but I agree with you because her response to Hera and then fainting. I can see them somehow playing into that because they kind of have to explain it. They have to explain how a human can... Visions and clairvoyancy are two different things. Just because you have a vision in your sleep or in a state of you know rest doesn't mean you can feel another being leaving. So what are those, three episodes? And the last episode is... How many episodes? Just three episodes there's, altogether? There's only three nights left. And I think the last night is two hours. I'm pretty sure it ends on the 20th. Which is two weeks from this Friday, right? So each episode is 40 minutes long. So we have 160 minutes. They got to wrap this thing up. Uh. <laughs> That's not a lot of time. Right. Here's the schedule. The schedule is... Schedule. The schedule. Uh, March 6th is the next episode. Oh, you're right. Holy cow. So yeah, I have to go to there, a wedding that night. I'm going to cry. March, <laughs> March 6th is uh, the next episode. And then March 13th is Daybreak Part 1, and March 20th is Daybreak Part 2, which is the two-hour part. So, really, so, there's, so there's, there's four hours left of show right, time. there's four hours left. In, 40 minutes each, 40 times 4 is <laughs> yeah, 160 for, minutes. <laughs> there's two episodes left, and there's four hours left. Holy cow, I, this has snuck up on me, because I was somehow thinking there was three episodes left. I mean, there is, hour-wise, there's more than, but there's only two real episodes left. Wow. Whew. It's two hours and 40 minutes, Brian. It's and 20 minutes shy of Gandhi. I think they can probably tell a really <laughs> great story. One thing I was learning about from a science perspective on this episode was when Boomer takes off in the Raptor and it's next to the ship and the distortion wave does that destruction along the side. I wouldn't question that at all if they hadn't only a few episodes before had the thing where the Vipers and the Raptors in front of the mining ship. And the mining ship jumps away, and all the Vipers do is kind of like tumble around in space a little bit. Yeah, and that's a huge ship jumping. Yeah, and they, they were right in front of them. them. They, yeah, they should have well, just Well, you been know what ripped. I thought? I thought this Raptor, I thought it jumped into the ship. That's what I, I didn't think it jumped from the side. I thought it jumped into it, and that's why it created that. Yeah, lift. I wasn't sure if it had done that or if Hot Dog had gone weapons hot and, and fired a missile, and the missile missed and hit the ship. And Again, I had to go back and watch it in slow motion. Well, because he said, don't do it. Yeah. I think the raptor was facing the ship. And she no, jumped. it was it was facing out. It was just the way it jumped. Like I guess there's like a distortion wave that's next to it. But again, if they had shown it a few episodes before right, the big doing ship. the mining ship jumping right in front of the Vipers, why didn't it affect them? 
And that's one of those things where, okay, I just contradicted myself. The writers knew everything that's going to happen down the road. Why did, why did they, <laughs> did the production uh, CGI people not get the memo? Place these vipers a little bit higher in the frame so it's you know not obvious that they're in the path. Because later on, we're going to be doing X, Y, Z. Well, they could have easily then just had, like you said, a missile strike miss something. Yeah, but it wasn't a missile. It was, um, yeah. I never thought I'd say this, but when is Lee going to do something? No! <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's hard for me to, to say it, but he has had no role at all. And I think it's a tragedy that they've left him with, Nothing to do for the longest time. And I'll be the first to say that I found his whole side trip to becoming a politician and being president for five minutes to be just really convoluted. And But at the same time, he's a character on the show. And if you have a reason for him to be there, give, give him, him a, a reason role. to be there. Give him a reason to be there. Give him a role. Otherwise, he could have been killed off several episodes ago and it would have had more impact. I'm sure he'll have something to do in the finale, but just him being out of sight for many, many episodes is not doing anybody any favors. Well, he's obviously trying to get the quorum back together. Oh, we didn't say anything about the Cylon being on the quorum. Well, that was a condition that Tyrrell had back before the mutiny took place. I guess the fact is that Adama was good on his word. He said, okay, you want to be in the fleet. Your condition was that you wanted a seat on the quorum. You've got it. So they're on the quorum. I guess it's just interesting that they uh, have another six who has a name. There's Sonya. And we still, to this day, don't know what Caprica's name is. And they've kind of made a joke of it now. Like last episode, they were talking about how like, even Ty was calling her Caprica. Rosalind was calling her Caprica. Yeah, you'd think they wouldn't want to call attention to that. Yeah. Maybe at this point, at the end game, maybe give her a name. <laughs> you know, I think if there was a time when they would have gave Caprica a name, it should have been in that scene with Rosalind, or it should have been that scene with Ty at her bedside. If they're never going to say it, fine, whatever. But I think that would have been a good time for now, in the last four episodes of the series, for her to say, my name is X. I think that would have been just a nice little thing to throw in there. Why they didn't do it and instead make it this little inside joke, I don't know. Here's my question. What happened to Leoben? They just kind of dropped him into, into nowhere. Yeah, he has gone completely away, which is too bad. Somehow the super strong Cylon got scared of a skeleton and ran away. He's probably still on the planet. And they never really explained why that was such a, um, a shock to him. They never really gave, they never really showed him dealing with that, yeah. which I thought was kind of a missed opportunity. For, for the amount of grief that he gave her on uh, Starbuck on New Caprica, you think he could take a little bit of uh, death. Maybe it'll play out later and Brian can get 10 bucks. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It does make me wonder the connection that Starbuck had with the farm. Like, they were very interested in her from the beginning. It makes me wonder. I guess this might be something that happens in the plan movie. Maybe Cavill somehow knows that there is a Starbuck connection and that's why he sets up to get Starbuck. But then if that's the case... If he knows that there is a second hybrid, then what's all the big deal about getting Hera? Why doesn't he just try to get Starbuck? So maybe that doesn't work. There's a reason for them to have her in the farm, though. I don't know. I hope we're not going to have to wait for this the plan to come out for some of these loose ends to get tied up. I mean, I'd like to think that you know the show is going to exist on its own and the movie will add something to it, but they're not going to be left hanging at the end of the series for revelations that are going to pop out in this movie. 
There was someone at Dragon Con. Remember, Michelle, that Eddie brought on stage at the Colonial Fleet party, said she's going to have a, a role in the upcoming movie. I don't remember her name now. She wasn't a character we're familiar with. She might have been in a few scenes just as a side background character. But if anybody, it was just like another refugee. But I don't remember who it was. Do you remember who it was? No, but I might have it on video somewhere. You know, if that person has a bigger role in this movie, how does that tie in? I think that the show Battlestar Galactica should wrap itself up. I don't think they should use the movie as a wrap-up for the TV show. Because that's not fair. Either keep the show running on sci-fi and then make a standalone movie or like the webisodes. I thought this set of webisodes with Gaeta, I thought they were really important. Because it really it built up his character for going nutty, you know? All right. All right, let's move on to grades. Jason happens to be away on business, but he sent me an email with his comments about the episode. He basically said for him, it was a second slow episode in a row. It was a C for most of it, but then the last 10 minutes, it jumped up to a B. I have to second that completely because at the beginning, I was just like, what? It was, I had a bunch of what? And I, I wasn't really liking it. And I, I agree with Jason 100%. I was going to say a C and then it bumps up to a B. So I agree. I give this a B. It's definitely better than last week's, and I favor it because it's king into the core mythology of the show. But I don't know. There was not um, a lot of kind of dramatic tension. I just didn't, I didn't feel it. So I'm just going to give it a, a B. I'm going to go a little higher. I'm actually going to give this one an A. Maybe an A minus. I thought it was good. I like the scenes with Starbuck and the, I'll call him her father for, you know, for lack of any other explanation, but um, I like that. I like that, you know, kind of slow paced sort of character stuff was really nicely balanced with all the, the intrigue, you know, with, with uh, Boomer. And I really liked the way that it, you know, like I was saying before, like it really showed the way things are breaking down. And so I just thought the, the whole episode had a lot of stuff going on. It was kind of subtle. It was kind of quiet sometimes. It, there wasn't a lot of action except at the very end, but I really thought it was I really thought it pushed the story ahead a little bit and kind of showed you some things that you didn't know before. So I really enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a B. I was really happy with the entire episode, even just from the very first, like from the start of it, when they were doing Starbuck and the ready room and all that. I just, I thought it was really well done. I thought some of the scenes with her and the guy at the piano were kind of slow and kind of like, do we really have to drag this on? But I gave it a B. I really enjoyed it. It was so much better than the previous episode. Oh, yeah. For this episode, on first viewing, I admit it did not grab me very much. Maybe it was just because the piano player Starbucks bits. From the very beginning, I thought this is a vision. I, I just I thought it was just strange that this guy appeared on Galactica and was playing piano. It just didn't seem right. So there were so many scenes of that. It seemed very obvious to me that this guy was leading up to be her father. And so I'm like, just get on with it. Get on with it. I was completely opposite. I was like, what the heck? That's why my beginning was a C, because I was like, why are they introducing another character this late in the game? I don't need another character this late in the game. I thought it was like another like stupid, frivolous storyline that they were just yeah. like filling or something. See, I, I saw I it completely opposite. I was like, well, almost from the moment I heard the tinkling of the keys, it's a pianist. This could well be head daddy. As the scenes went on and they start talking about him leaving his family and he had a kid and her talking about her dad who left. I'm like, God, just, you know, you're laying it out there. Just get on, <laughs> give it to us. But on second viewing, uh, I got cut up on the performances, which were really, really good. And they're just raw emotion in the last act, especially. They really brought up the grade for me. And I thought Aaron Douglas did a great job. The bits with him in his 
dream house. It, it was really nice. And this episode was very much a mirror of the Maelstrom episode, which was also directed by the same guy, Michael Nankin. The Maelstrom uh-huh. episode had a very slow buildup of Starbuck with flashback scenes with her mother. At the time, Jason, I remember saying that he thought that episode was really, really slow. And then at the very end, we had what? We had Starbuck go into the into the Maelstrom. So that episode, very similar. That one had flashbacks all leading up to the plunge of the Mandela. Same thing here. Lots of slow scenes that I've been on first viewing felt like they were dragging, but then they had a huge crescendo with the anxious ending. You had the abduction. You had Starbucks revelation that it was her father. Just emotionally, it, it felt like it built well. I don't think it was quite an A for me. I'm teetering between a B and a B plus, but I liked it. It was well done, even if it was slow in the beginning. All right. We have two episodes left, although there will be three podcasts. Well, there'll probably be more because for the finale, I'm not sure what we're going to do yet. I'm thinking we may do some special stuff. But Ooh, special stuff. Yeah. We might do like something like a frack party type of thing. I don't know what we're going to do. We'll try to think of something. I'll bring the bourbon. All right. Good plan. In the meantime, send us your thoughts to our email. That's gcorm at gmail.com and our voicemail 301-358-5175. The jump clock is running. We'll see you next time. So say we all. Bye. I had a great time. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Take that off. Take that off. I'm taking my protection off. Hold on. (laughs) Is that better? (laughs) Michelle? I'm sorry the new guys have to listen to this. Michelle, (laughs) is that better? Yes, it's a little better. Of course it's a little better. I took my protection off, Michelle.